You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1298 of the Lot on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday morning here as we discuss the latest in Atlanta Hawks land and a short podcast to get you ready for the weekend. I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course on the video side over at YouTube. And please follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Today's podcast is going to have some more schedule situations and follow-ups from the release earlier this week if you missed it. Our last episode was like 35, 40 minutes on the schedule, some of the top games on the schedule, honorable mentions, et cetera. And that was a full deep dive. And before that, some guests on the show, Andrew Kelly has been on the podcast recently, Bill DeFilippo, recently Robbie Callen, Tyler Jones, et cetera. Wall-to-wall coverage on the podcast, as always. Glenn Willis has been on the show recently as well. And uh, we are covering things very busy still in the offseason. But uh, we're getting closer to the start of the season, like six weeks away from training camp, maybe a little bit less than that at this point, five and a half or so. But um, still some questions that I'm going to answer today from uh, listeners and viewers of the podcast, mostly on the mailbag side and a little bit shorter show probably than some. But we are getting there. I have some guests lined up as we wrap up toward the season. I still owe everybody the Trey Young deep dive with Glenn Willis, who has agreed to do that with me at some point in the near future. So um, please stay tuned, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But we'll dive in to the show on this Friday. Um, a few people actually mentioned this as well, and then we'll start here. Um, I did not include DeJounte Murray's return trip to San Antonio or even when the Spurs come to Atlanta as an option on the high-profile games list. And I meant to include that on honorable mention, so that's my fault for leaving it off. I will say I did think about it having in the top 10 that I put that I posted and talked about on Wednesday. But uh, honestly, there's a couple reasons why I did not have it in that top 10 and why I just kind of forgot to leave it on the honorable mentions list. One of those reasons is that the Spurs are not going to be very good this year. I tried to include mostly games against good opponents and interesting opponents, um, one exception being kind of the, <laughs> the Kings game and Kevin Herter's return to Atlanta. But there isn't the same buzz with the Spurs in some ways. I'll, t- I'll talk about why now. Um, the bigger one, really, for me is that there is a much bigger angle on the San Antonio side of that one than it is for Atlanta. Um, I say this all the time when discussing this kind of stuff, but really, when guys return to their old teams, it's a much bigger story for the old team than it is for the new team. If you're a Hawks fan, you don't really have a ton of attachment to him returning to San Antonio. Obviously, it'll become a more national story. It'll be his first time back there. That is a story, which is why I should have mentioned it along the way. But there'll be more coverage um, paid on the San Antonio side. I've always kind of found that, and that's kind of why I included stuff like Herter and Wright coming back to Atlanta rather than guys leaving and coming back to their other, other spots. But I am sure that it would be a big deal for Murray individually as he goes back. I'm sure he'll be welcome with open arms in San Antonio. Um, he was one of their, obviously their best player last year, one of their best players the last couple of years. So um, he'll be, I'm sure, getting a lot of attention locally. I'm sure he'll want to play well against his old team, et cetera. I should have mentioned that. For sure, but that was why I did not have it in the top 10 necessarily because I think nationally speaking, you might have more interest on that than a lot of a lot of Hawks games because obviously Murray is a big ticket item going back to his old team. But on the Hawks side, Hawks fan interest side, I'm not sure it's that big of a story, but alas, it should have been on the extended list. So that's my fault for not having it on there. One more quick thing um, that I actually had in my notes and did not really dive into on that show was the fact that the Hawks have a pretty soft start the season i didn't i did sort of include that first five game segment but it is important this year to me to get off to a strong start especially with the hawks likely sorting out some things with new personnel maybe even still dealing with Badonovich being less than 100 etc a lot could happen between now and october but it could be a pretty interesting segment 
In fact, as I record this right now, by the way, we are exactly two months away from the opener. It's August 19th. The opener is October 19th. So that's uh, getting closer by the day. But the Hawks' first 20 games of the season, which is about a quarter of the schedule, of course, has the uh, actually the there's projections and second schedule stuff from different websites. But I saw this from Matt Moore of the Action Network. The Hawks have the fifth easiest schedule in the NBA when accounting for travel and all of that stuff in the first 20 games. Only two back-to-backs in the first 20, not a ton of travel overall, and some pretty friendly opponents. I did mention this before, but the first five games are very easy on paper. It is Houston, it is Orlando, it is Charlotte at home. The Hawks will be favored in all three of those games, barring injuries. And then they have the, uh, the sort of a two-game road series in Detroit. The Pistons will be pretty decent this year, I think, but still, that's a team the Hawks are better than on paper right now. And, uh, you know, even on the road, that second game on the road against the same opponent, probably a little bit easier because you don't have to travel between games, et cetera. Um, also in November, you have New Orleans, Utah, and Sacramento at home. Those are all games the Hawks will be favored in, I would imagine. Also trips to Orlando and Houston that month. So some pretty favorable opponents. There are some tough games, as always, in there as well. You know, road trips to Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, et cetera. It's not guaranteed success by any means, but it's pretty nice. If, I, if you sort of ask me what, what, what I would have liked to see for the Hawks standpoint, I would have asked for a pretty light schedule early and then maybe a little bit more difficulty later on because the Hawks are going to have to get sort of get up to speed with their new additions headlined by Murray, of course. And Atlanta started 4-9 last year. Um, part of that was the uh, disastrous trip to the West Coast. Uh, but avoiding that kind of hole and having to dig out of that would be very nice. The Hawks have been so much better in the second half of the season in the last couple of years, but it would be uh, good to have actually them playing from sort of playing from the front rather than from the back of the standings along the way this year. So uh, it's more of a little thing. And people were kind of asking me in general, like how important this is to wins and losses for the Hawks at schedule release. I'll say this, uh, the NFL kind of did this exact model when it comes to like making schedule release an event. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's interesting enough if you want to plan your schedule, especially if you're like a season ticket holder and you have to like kind of plan your life around this, or if you're a true diehard planning their entire existence around these games. I do understand all of that stuff. In general, the impact on winning is not the biggest deal in the world. I did mention on Wednesday, the Hawks have some pretty favorable stuff in that they only play some good teams three times instead of four times, Boston and Toronto, chief among them. That's a little bit of a break for the Hawks. It might be worth like a half a win to a win over the course of the season. But generally speaking, the most difficult schedule to the easiest schedule in the league might be worth like two wins max um, in terms of like the actual deployment. So it's not that big of a deal, but it is interesting to kind of sift through this stuff and look ahead to the season. Um, I got a question about the, uh, actually about the worst games on the schedule, which I'm, I'm going to attack in a second because that's a pretty funny one uh, in this space. But I will go through a little bit more of that and then I'll go through some mailback questions. But first, before we get to all of that, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Imagine for a moment that you are hanging out with some friends, bringing back a few drinks, and a few drinks becomes a few too many drinks. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to leave and you start to think about calling for a ride. Instead, you decide that you live nearby and you're thinking that it's no big deal. You can just make it home easily. You're pretty close to your house etc. After all, what are the odds that you actually would get pulled over this close to your house? And even if that happens, what's the worst that could happen? Would your insurance just go up or would you lose your license perhaps? Or unfortunately, you could total your car or you could hurt yourself or even kill yourself or someone else. At this point, everyone should know the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly, but it does not always stop everybody from getting behind the wheel when they shouldn't. That is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on the roads. They're looking to save lives and protect everyone involved. So if you're start, if you starting to think that it's okay to drive after a few too many drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride for you and everyone that is close to you. It only takes one mistake to change your life or the life of someone else forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, first question from Vic today. Asks, the, asks uh, and basically just says, 
I don't know if you'll do this, but since you get up top 10 games on the schedule, what about the worst game on the schedule? What should Hawks fans plan other stuff around if they need to? It's kind of a funny question, but it's also pretty practical. I do understand that even the diehards probably don't watch all 82. Obviously, it's part of my job to go ahead and do that. But uh, there are a few people. I'm sure they exist. In fact, I know they exist. that actually watch every single game on the schedule. Um, but there are some people that just, you know, stuff happens. I, I know this very, very well. Um, travel, you know, work stuff, et cetera. And there might be some strategy kind of planning around there. So on Wednesday show, uh, I did say this, but the quality of play is pretty brutal at times, like in like March or so. There's like this like, sort of the dog days of summer um, aspect, even though it's not in the summer. It's more of a late, obviously, the spring thing. But that's sort of an area to focus on, especially with the NCAA tournament taking place at that point in time. People kind of watch that. I know I'm always covering that in some form as well. So that's a little bit of a note to keep an eye, just broadly speaking. But I will say this as well. This is a pretty good time for the NBA, where even the teams that are projected to be pretty bad this year have pretty interesting young players, like top draft picks. It's not as easy as you might think to kind of shine a light on some games that are actually less appetizing for Hawks fans this year. I did make a five-game list to answer the question, and I'll do it just like I did in the, uh, the first time around in chronological order. Um, the first one is Tuesday, December 27th at the Indiana Pacers. I would probably choose this game number one overall honestly, for a number of, a number, number of reasons. So um, part of this is that the game is on Tuesday between Christmas and New Year's. That's a pretty brutal spot. People will be traveling, hosting family, whatever it is. There's lots of stuff going on at that point in the calendar. Also, it's the only road game over a six-game stretch at the end of 2022 calendar year. And adding to that, of course, the Pacers are not the most exciting team in the world. Now, they have some guys that are interesting. Tyrese Halliburton is a lot of fun to watch. I really do enjoy him. I'm pretty interested also in Benedict Matherin, their first-round lottery pick this year. But Indiana is rebuilding, and they don't have quite that same appeal as, like, Paolo Boncaro or Chet Holmgren or Kate Cunningham, et cetera, to command the attention on their own. Halliburton is really good, but I don't think he's, like, that uh, that electric force that you're going to be looking for as a casual fan. So I will list that game pretty fervently in this top five of ones to uh, potentially avoid if you have to travel or something like that. That's one that I'm not terribly excited about. At this point, um, also number two on this list in chronological order again is Wednesday, January the fourth at Sacramento. I don't love having this on the list because I'm actually pretty interested in the Kings from a basketball nerd standpoint this year, but I had to include it for a couple of reasons. First, the game is in the middle of a four-game West Coast trip, and it is by far the worst game on that trip. It's a 10 p.m. Eastern time tip-off on a Wednesday, and while I'll be covering it, I assure you on that, um, a lot of Hawks fans probably don't want to stay up that late four times in the same week because, you know, they're going to be getting over like 1230. Um, also, it's between games against the Warriors and then a two-game trip to L.A. to play the Lakers and, and Clippers. So it's obviously the worst game of all of those, and the Kings are not that exciting to watch. Um, people might need some sleep there, obviously. And unlike when the Kings come to Atlanta, when I included the Kevin Herter return game, that's not the same appeal when they go to Sacramento. Obviously, uh, the opportunity to watch Herter and De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Bonus is pretty interesting, but uh, not the not the greatest game in the world in a, in a late start uh, early in January after a bunch of holiday stuff as well. Um, from there, Friday, February 3rd, on the road in Utah. This is in the middle of a West Coast trip. It's a Friday night game where I know a lot of people might be doing social things and going out. Um, more importantly, perhaps, the Jazz might be one of the most, um, I don't know, less interesting teams in the league, especially if they trade Donovan Mitchell. I am betting that Mitchell will not be on that team by February 3rd. Uh, they do have some pretty good role players, which actually we'll come back to later on in the podcast for a mailbag question. But nobody's super interesting to most fans. It's more of a like role player kind of guy. They're available. Also, also it's a, it's a late start. I can't imagine that's going to be a big rating for our friends at Valley Sports Southeast on a Friday night against a bad Utah team probably at that point in time. So that's one to circle for sure. Um, two more to hit on uh, Friday, March 10th at Washington. 
The Hawks will have just played the Wizards two days before that in one of those mini-series. Um, it's a Wednesday, Friday. Um, also, the Hawks-Wizards play four times overall, so there's plenty of exposure to the Wizards if you are a Hawks fan. And honestly, the Wizards are not that interesting overall. The one thing, of course, is for, at least for me, is the presence of DeLon Wright on the Wizards roster. <laughs> I say that kind of funny, but alas. They'll be okay this year. Washington will be. They have Bradley Beal. They have Porzingis. They have a bunch of young guys. They have DeLon Wright and Monty Morris at point guard. But they're not exciting at all. They're kind of a boring team in a lot of ways. And again, they will have just played each other two days before this. It's also a Friday night. It's the first of a back-to-back with the Celtics coming to Atlanta the next day. So if you're not someone who can give away both weekend nights, that's the one to keep an eye on as well. I would certainly uh, skip that one if you have to along the way. And then uh, finally, game five here, uh, Saturday, March 25th against Indiana. Now, I picked the Pacers twice. Sorry, Pacers fans. Um, I couldn't find another game. This is one that the first four that I found were pretty easy to find, honestly. And then the fifth one, I kind of had to just pick. There's a chance that a team like Houston or Orlando or Oklahoma City or even Detroit becomes pretty brutal to watch if they have an injury or decide to, like, rest one of the high-profile young guys like your Jamari Smiths, Paulo Boncaro, Chet Holmgren, et cetera. But it's tough to kind of decide that now because I think there's a lot of appeal actually to seeing those guys for the first time when it comes like to just I'm a huge draft guy, of course, want to see what those guys look like between Jamari and Chet and Paolo, Cade, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, et cetera. Whereas the Pacers, again, as I said before, kind of boring. And this is also going directly against the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So between the scheduling and the opponent and the general malaise that happens in March, I kind of had to include this one on the agenda. But if you are a Pacers fan, I understand that you won't love having them twice on there, but um, and listen, I'll be watching all 82 games. What part of the appeal of this podcast for listeners is that I watch every game, usually twice or more, and I will have uh, all kinds of reporting on that. But uh, if you want to skip a game, the best way to catch up on the podcast, uh, sorry, catch up on the game is to actually listen to the podcast. So there you go. A little plug along the way here. Okay. Um, question from Connor, who asks, if Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks continue to not play and devalue Cam Reddish, what would you think about the Hawks trying to get him back before the trade deadline? I think he'd help off the bench tremendously, and I also miss seeing him play. Thank you for the question, Connor, as always. Um, first, the situation with Reddish in New York is kind of bizarre because it was almost as if the front office wanted him and the coaching staff did not want him in New York. The Knicks traded a first-round pick for Cam. It was protected, of course, but still they traded a, a, a real pick for, for his services, and he, and he only got to New York and played 215 minutes with the Knicks last year. And a lot of that, honestly, was garbage time. He was not in the rotation for a wide swath of that time. I'm not sure how much he's going to play now either because they're still are pretty loaded in terms of like having some interesting young players. Um, and I think he actually might even be included in a Donovan Mitchell trade for salary ballast or whatever. But I know a lot of Hawks fans are still invested in Cam and want him to succeed. I don't blame you at all. I've always kind of wanted Cam to be the best he could possibly be. Um, I still believe personally that there's a valuable role player in there if he can maximize his strengths and kind of buy into a little bit of a smaller role than he's maybe looking for. But we'll see if that actually happens. But to the question itself, I would guess or uh, strongly guess, let's just say, the Hawks will not be the team that comes in and trades for for Cam Reddish. It wouldn't stun me if the Knicks moved on because Tibbs does not seem to want to play him. Uh, but Cam, of course, asked out of Atlanta. I don't think the Hawks are going to go back to the well there right now, with even with some depth concerns on their roster. Um, in a vacuum, if they could just take Cam for nothing, he might help them this year because they don't have too much uh, behind them, sort of wing depth at the three, et cetera. But after the way that all ended, I would guess that it would not be the Hawks that go out and get Cam Reddish this time around. Next question comes from AJ. I mentioned this a little bit earlier on the podcast, but it was uh, he or she says this would probably this was actually probably already discussed, but will will be in a mailbag or a separate topic if or when Donovan Mitchell gets traded. But assuming he leaves and the Jazz go into a fire sale mode, is there a certain player that the Hawks should try to target from Utah? So 
this is an interesting question. I kind of mentioned, mentioned it before, but I just haven't quite done this in this form. Um, the Jazz are almost certainly going to try to move some of their veterans that they acquired in the Wolves deal or guys that were already on the roster if they move on from Mitchell and kind of just go even deeper into the rebuild. The trouble is they're all kind of expensive players. Um, ignoring money concerns, the Hawks could use a bunch of these guys. Like Boyan McDonavich would be a valuable player in a lot of ways. Patrick Beverly would be a good role player for a lot of teams. Malik Beasley, local product, good shooter, etc. Jordan Clarkson is a valuable six-man. Rudy Gay even on, on probably a, low, a little bit of a lower level. I'm going to ignore the young guys. Like I don't think Utah wants to sell off like Jerry Butler or Walker Kessler. But um, they're veterans that they are just kind of there to be up for the taking. Um, but again, all of them make real money. In fact, most of those guys make at least eight figures, like $10 plus million this year. Other than Rudy Gay, it's about $6 million. Now, the Hawks have this tax concern, which I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. People always ask me. I would guess the Hawks do not want to be over the tax, but maybe they will be at some point in time. But I think the problem is the Hawks, everyone the Hawks have that makes real, that's actually part of the rotation, makes real money as well. And like salary matching to get someone like Bogdanovich or Beverly or Beasley would be actually pretty difficult. Um they do have Mo Harkless they can use. They have Justin Holiday they can use potentially if they wanted to combine those guys in the way that they did for Kevin Herter. But if the Hawks are trying to push in, maybe you try to flip Mo Harkless and somebody else for a guy that might be helpful, et cetera, along with the draft pick, et cetera, something like that. But all the guys who make big money for the Hawks, again, are the guys they won't be looking to trade. The one potential will be if like Bogey just looks like he's kind of done with health issues. Maybe they want to flip him. But uh, even then, that might be a little bit tough to do. He's making a lot of money. So I would guess the Hawks are not the most logical team for a lot of these guys. But again, uh, you know, they could certainly use Beverly as another guard. Beasley would help the shooting. Um, Boyan would help the offense a lot, although his defensive questions are real. But I would guess that like they're not the most natural team for the Jazz to partner with. But we'll see if that changes in the near future. And uh, we'll have more actually on McDonavich in a second. My maybe the last question might, might do one or two more after the break. But uh, before we get to all of that, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. It's that time of year with football ramping up or Bet Online, and uh, really the interest in betting definitely skyrockets. Find all the latest sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games with a ton of future basing action on the site. Football season, of course, is fast approaching. NBA future odds firmly in play with season win totals in the NBA for the Hawks and elsewhere, Eastern Conference odds, NBA title odds, etc. And Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to check out all the betting needs that you might have. Find reviews and news of every league across the board. That includes, of course, the NBA, but they have they have baseball. They have NFL, college sports, NHL stuff, combat sports, esports, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, rugby, entertainment bets, and much more. And that line also has the top online resources for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting to scores and podcasts. And beyond the sports world, they have casino games, they have poker, and other ways to get on the action. But online is your number one source for all of the stuff that you're interested in in the betting space. And you can head there right now today on your mobile device or your computer to get all of the trends and the action that's happening across the sports world, but online where the game starts. All right, question from Bruce, who says, what kind of season would Bogey have to have in order for the Hawks to be nervous about him opting out of his player option next season? For example, if he averages 17 points a game and shoots 40% from three with 66 games played, his knee would force him to test the market and try to secure one more long-term deal, Right. I feel like we are not talking about this enough because of the knee mostly, but it feels like it might be worth discussing. Okay. So a good question here from Bruce. Something I have probably haven't hit on enough at this point in time because the player option is kind of just looming for the Hawks. If you're not familiar with this, Bogey has this year a fully guaranteed contract, $18 million he's on the books for. And then the 2023-24 season, he has an $18 million player option. As part of that deal, the Hawks signed him to um, coming out of Sacramento. So it's a lot of money for him, of course, but 
it's only about seven and a half percent of the of the salary cap for next year. So it's a pretty modest figure. In fact, 18 million is basically just like starter money this year. Uh, even this year, plus next year, it's even going to be even less worth less than that. I think Bogdanovich, yes, he's not going to be starting for the Hawks this year, uh, but six man money, that's like totally fine money. It's like very average in terms of like what he's actually worth. He's definitely worth that contract for what he's been so far. And by the way, while we're at it, happy birthday to Bogey, who turned 30 on Thursday, just yesterday as I record this. Uh, he'll be 31, of course, going into the season that his player option is on. But at any rate, the, the numbers that Bruce outlined with Bogey averaging 17 a game and 40% from three and playing a bunch of games, but almost certainly in my mind, get him to opt out of that contract as long as he is healthy at the end of the season. Um, I will say this as well. Opting out of the deal does not mean he's definitely going to leave as teams and players can often find common ground on more years, stuff like that. Um, but it is far from a lock also that he's on the team next year, 23-24, because of the player option, because he could be traded, et cetera. Uh, in fact, he and Hunter are the only guys on the core of core side of the Hawks that are not under team control for next year. Obviously, the Hawks have match rights on Hunter, and Bogey has the, has the player option. But as I record this, Hunter's going to be a free agent, at least restricted free agent next year, and Bogey could be leaving unrestrictedly if he uh, opts out. But to answer the question, I feel like I think Bogey has a pretty good chance, honestly, to opt out if he can play relatively well and be relatively healthy this season. Um, at age 31, guys might prioritize years over dollars. Like I wouldn't be surprised. Let's just say, for an example, if Bogey were to opt out of his one-year, 18 million dollar option to sign for like three years and 42 million something like that now that's it, it's going to happen but um you know especially at 31 he might look to get some more long-term money secured versus uh prioritizing 18 million dollars but look if he plays well there will be a market for bogey at around that number at 18 million and generally speaking if guys can get around the same money for more years they're going to do that and i think bogey might be able to do that so um let's say he replicates last year exactly which was a little bit less than what bruce outlined but he played in 63 games last year, he shot 37% from three and averaged like 15 points a game. Um, even with some below average defense, that was worth $18 million last year. Um, probably even more than that, honestly. So if he could just do exactly what he did last year, which is not the most difficult ask for Bogey. If he does that, he is worth $18 million or more, and that might lead him to, to opting out. So we'll see if that actually happens. Of course, the Hawks draft AJ Griffin. Maybe he shows a little bit and they can be a little bit more comfortable moving on from Bogey, or at least uh, not trying to like throw the book at him to retain him next year. But for now... I talked about this a lot. I'll probably talk about it even more. Um, Bogey is very, very important to this year's team. He's really the only guy on the roster that does what he does. He's the one kind of sniper shooter this year, outside of Griffin, of course, who is a uh, sort of an unproven rookie. He's the one established, you know, off-ball presence as a, as a dynamic shooter on the roster this year. So uh, that's actually going to be very, very important that he's healthy and around. But we'll get into that more as the offseason goes along. Um before we get out of here, I have one more quick one from Stanley, but I just want to plug this. I actually talked to Nate Duncan on the Dunked On Prime podcast, sort of a season profile of the Hawks that was about an hour long, gave my predictions and all that stuff on that show. That's always a fun topic. Also, I visited with Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball for our yearly season outlook for the Hawks as well. Those happen both within like a day of each other. So I've been talking about the Hawks quite a bit this week. So those are definitely available. And I definitely recommend checking out Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh. I think Josh is awesome. And that's on the network here. So check that out as well. Um, all right. Last question comes from Stanley. It's a quick one. And it basically is, can Frank Kaminsky play power forward? I do appreciate these quick ones as well sometimes from Stanley. So thank you for this question. Um, the short answer is kind of with Frank Kaminsky. Um, I think if the Hawks were to be in a bind, like let's say Collins was injured or Jalen Johnson kind of isn't ready to play, et cetera. 
I think they can play Kaminsky at power forward, particularly with a Kongwu. Um, I don't think that you want to play Kaminsky and Capella together. Um, the premise is that Kaminsky can shoot, which definitely helps. That's probably his number one appeal on the basketball court as being like a 6'11", 7-footer who can really shoot it. But defensively, um, the four would be pretty rough. It's, a, it's pretty rough everywhere for Kaminsky. It's why he's a minimum player. But I think that the, the pairing in theory between Kaminsky and Okongwu does make some sense because Okongwu is uh, the guy who can kind of make the more difficult defensive matchups. He's more athletic. Um, obviously, he's a little bit smaller than Kaminsky, but that kind of pairing allows you to kind of have Okongwu be that non-shooter, be that role man, whereas Kaminsky can kind of, kind of pop to the corners. Uh, I think Kaminsky could also play with John Collins a little bit, but in that scenario, he's playing center. Um Really, the only way I could see Kaminsky, quote unquote, being the power forward is playing with a Kongwu. And I think that might happen along the way if you get, let's just say Capella goes down for a two week sample. Um, I think right now, today, I might project the Hawks to play Kaminsky for 10 minutes a night if that were to happen. Maybe you go to a Kongwu for 35 minutes. Um, maybe you go to Collins for a handful of minutes, and then you might plan to get to go with Kaminsky a little bit as backup center. But that's, again, he's playing more center at that point in time. So I think he can play the four. I think the Hawks probably don't want him to have to play the four a whole lot. You're hoping that Jalen Johnson is good enough where he forces his way on the floor at times behind Collins. Um, they have Mo Harkless. And honestly, um, if, it comes to, if it comes down to playing Kaminsky at the four or Harkless at the four, I think the Hawks are better off with Harkless in most scenarios there. So um, the short answer is yes, he can kind of play power forward. But for the most part, he is a center. He was signed to be the third center, given that, that insurance policy. And I think the only way you're going to see Kaminsky play a bunch this year is if you get an injury to a Kongwu or a Capella and he's just kind of thrust onto the floor. But he does pair fairly well with both Collins and and a Kong Wu if they had to actually play them just because of the defensive uh, stuff and the size next to him in both of those players. So hopefully that's the question. We have more questions coming uh, in the future from Christopher and John and Lawrence that I have um, filed away more beyond that as well. And I definitely recommend this, especially this time of year. I have plenty of room for mailbag questions. So if you have questions for me, please fire them away. I have an email address. It is lockedonhawks at gmail.com. Also, you can send them to me on Twitter at BT Roland or follow me there as well. You can send them to the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And please follow that account and spread the word about the podcast. And one more time, please subscribe to the show. I appreciate everyone's already done that. We've actually had some growth in the last you know couple of years, which has been awesome. And I really appreciate people kind of still sticking with us in the offseason. We're ramping up as, as we always do. But please leave five-star ratings and reviews. Subscribe across the board. If you really try to support the podcast the best it possibly can be, Subscribe on multiple platforms, auto-download on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and Podbeam. And also on the YouTube side, um, likes and subscriptions over there, share the podcast, et cetera. I really appreciate all the support. We'll have uh, more next week, as we always do. If, if anything happens on the Hawks side, I will break into emergency podcast mode. But for now, that'll, that'll do it for this week on the show. Check out all the uh, archived podcasts as well, and we'll see you next time.